Well, there are so many moments we are confronted with the brokenness of the world we live in. That was certainly true for me this past week. One day, I I sat down with a woman who shared how she was abused and neglected by her parents. She gave birth to her first child when she was 14, and she was left to fend for herself through the whole experience. I listened to a podcast at a different time reflecting on the aftermath survivor's experience following a mass shooting. I hear some of you, too many of you, talk about how you will experience empty chairs around the dinner table this holiday season, seats not occupied by loved ones who have become disconnected from family or who have experienced death or disease. We hear difficult news on network TV, stories on social media detailing situations of racism or abuse or battles with addiction. Even yesterday, the story of severe storms killing many in Kentucky. The phrase, happy holidays, can ring hollow. Instead of happy, holidays tend to be heartbreaking. Into such reflections, this morning we're going to hear a song sung by angels approximately 2,000 years ago. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who are less familiar with me, my name is Paul, and I serve as one of the pastors here. We've mentioned in recent weeks that First City Church is joining Christians throughout the globe and throughout time to observe a season called Advent, a time set aside to consider the first coming of Christ and to look forward to his second coming. To that end, we have chosen to reflect on songs that are recorded in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, and we've titled the sermon series, Songs of the Savior. In past weeks, we've listened to a melody sung by Mary, the mother of Jesus, and music proclaimed by a man named Zechariah. This week, we're focusing on a song sung by a multitude of angels. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to people he favors. Now, most songs are lengthier, right? These are the kinds of songs that we tend to listen to on the radio, or for those of you who are younger, who never listened to a radio. You listen to these songs on Amazon Music or Spotify or Pandora. The lyrics to those songs, they linger for at least a couple of minutes. Mary's Magnificat and Zechariah's song fall into this category. It's poetic language that is patiently drawing out particular themes. The song sung by the angels is much different. Rather than a lengthy melody, it's more like a brief blast. It's a a burst of words echoing throughout the centuries associated with hearing the news of the birth of a baby born in Bethlehem. Now Luke chapter 2 tells the the larger story of this birth, and we're going to reflect on more of those details on December 26th, December 26th, the Sunday morning after Christmas. Today, we're simply 
spotlighting what happened immediately after the birth. How the story of this remarkable event was first broadcast to others. And how that climaxes in the singing of a song. How the news of the birth of this baby was shared tells a story in and of itself. Many of you know that since I last had the opportunity to preach, we've experienced some remarkable news at the Gardner home. Uh, One of the young men at First City Church asked my oldest daughter if she would marry him. And she said yes. Now, everyone wants to hear the story of that moment. And so to tell it, people are visited. Phone calls are made. Social media posts are composed. A message about that remarkable moment is communicated. And how that message is communicated tells a story. Who is important to tell? What are the details that are most significant? He asked me to marry him, and I said yes. How they tell the story and how others respond indicates the gravity and the magnitude of that moment. How that message is communicated is a story in and of itself. In the case of this baby born in Bethlehem, how that message was communicated tells us this baby is going to radically change the lives of people throughout the planet. For people who experienced discord and distress, chaos and confusion, this baby will bring quiet and calm, healing and wholeness. And we'll find, as this news was told, the magnitude of the moment, it could not be spoken in mere words. It had to be captured by a chorus of angels. So as we examine how the news of the birth is communicated, our big idea this morning is news of a birth in Bethlehem proclaims peace to people on the periphery. That word periphery, it refers to people who are outsiders or outcasts, people viewed as displaced and dirty. They are squatters, if you will, people who do not seem to belong or do not seem to have a home. An expression we often hear, many wonder if God cares. The story of the birth of this baby declares he does. If you have a Bible, open it up to the passage read earlier, the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at verses 8 through 15. As we explore this passage and this big idea, we're going to focus on three aspects of how the news of a birth in Bethlehem is communicated. One, the people. Who are we told first hear the news? What story does that tell? Two, the proclamation. What is communicated about the significance of this birth in Bethlehem? Why is it so remarkable? And three, the praise. The angels break into spontaneous song. Why? What what does that teach us? So let's start with the people. When John the Baptist was born, uh, something we explored last week, when his mother Elizabeth gave birth, the gospel, tell, the gospel of Luke tells us the first to hear the news was neighbors and relatives. His father, Zechariah, was a priest. When a child is anticipated to continue a priestly line, that is the group of people you would expect to first learn about the birth. 
For Jesus, it was a group of people you would not expect. Let's listen to verses 8 and 9. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So shepherds were the first to hear the news. Now, shepherds are are people committed to caring for those who are vulnerable and weak. But shepherds are not wealthy or influential. Being a shepherd was not a prestigious occupation. Shepherds were kind of outsiders. They rarely went into town. They often didn't worship at religious festivals. They were seen as dirty and displaced. Within a family, older sons helped their father sow and plow and harvest. But the work of a shepherd was reserved for the youngest son. An example of this is recorded in the, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7. There we learn how the prophet Samuel sought out a man named Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. All the sons were present, at least the ones that were thought to be significant. But David, the youngest, was not there because he was tending the sheep. Being a shepherd was not a highly respected occupation. So if you think about the corporate ladder, this was, this was a position on the lowest rung. There was a big gap to become respected, to be in a position of honor and status within the family or within the broader community. Shepherds were on the periphery. Yet this is the people who first hear the news about the baby born in Bethlehem. So over the the past 15 years, I had the honor of working for a a local healthcare organization, Hillcrest Health Services. It's actually the the company that is part of uh, the Mabel Rose Assisted Living Facility. If you don't know much about that organization, they employ a number approaching 2,000 individuals working in a variety of settings caring for older adults. So prior to transitioning on staff at First City, I had the pleasure of serving in an administrative leadership role. Now, if someone wanted to influence our organization to make us aware of some change to the senior care industry, to get us to consider buying a particular product or adopting a different way to see the world and how we do business, you would expect them to reach out to someone prestigious, someone on the executive leadership team, or a shareholder in the company. We would not expect them, as valuable and precious as the work is, to reach out to someone on the night shift, a nurse aide caring for clients, someone working in the kitchen preparing meals, or someone in housekeeping maintaining the rooms. Those are the types of people who first hear the news about this baby born in Bethlehem. I want you to think, If you were responsible to communicate the biggest news of the world, this baby being born in Bethlehem, who would you tell? Who would you think is most important? Maybe political leaders with positions of power? Maybe a a network news anchor? Or social media influencers? I would not see you seeking out individuals working the night shift in some rural region. 
The people invited into hearing the news of this baby born in Bethlehem, the people chosen to first hear the proclamation of the birth of Christ, it tells a story that is a bit of a bombshell. God is making a point. Those on the outside looking in, those living on the periphery, those who feel dejected and displaced, they are no longer on the outside. They are welcomed in. They are the people who will tell others about my son and influence the world to hear about him. The news of this birth proclaims peace to people on the periphery. So this is the people who first hear the news. Now we want to transition to what news is proclaimed. So typically when sharing about monumental moments, there are specific words spoken indicating its significance. You know, after the birth of a baby, the words can be, it's a boy, or it's a girl. After a wedding, it can be, we got married. Those words proclaim the gravity and magnitude of what's happened. When the angels appear to the shepherds, the, the, angels say, the angel says something far more than it's a boy. Let's listen to, to the proclamation of how the news was shared, starting in verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So the angel calms the nerves of the shepherds. Hey, don't, don't be afraid. And then underscores those on the outside looking in, those on the periphery, the dejected, those who feel dismissed. This news is for you. The, the, this message is not only bringing joy to a particular mother and father or family and friends. This is good news for all the people. Not simply a people consisting of a prestigious group of religious leaders or political leaders. Not simply a people bound together by the Jewish faith. Not simply a, a people of a particular race or creed. This is good news of great joy for all the people. The angel then communicates the identity of this baby born in Bethlehem using three titles. Clarifying this infant isn't just some cute little baby boy. His birth is a bombshell. The three titles used by the angel are Savior, Messiah, and Lord. So Savior, that, that was a title used for known deities or princes and kings, people who rescued others from challenges and trials. Using it clarifies this baby was sent into the world to be a liberator. This baby will rescue and redeem people from the power of Satan and the effects of sin. Now, implied in this title is that people need a Savior. We can't do it ourselves. We need to be set free and liberated. This baby is that liberator. Messiah. Some translations use the term Christ. The original title clarifies this baby is anointed. Unlike all the babies born before him or will be born after him, the, the baby born in Bethlehem was set apart for something different. 
He is the one people have been looking forward to, to fulfill God's promises and prophecies. From the time of the fall, God promised a future seed of Eve would come to crush Satan. In God's covenant with a man named Abraham, he promised a future son would be a blessing to all nations. In God's covenant with David, he promised that a future son would be, a future king would reign on the throne forever. This baby born in Bethlehem is that seed, he is that son, and he is that king. There is very much a continuity he represents with what God's people have been anticipating and longing for as they depend on the Lord for rescue and redemption. So implied in this title is people need someone who has been set apart. We need someone who is like us, yet is far different than us. The baby is the one God's people have been looking for. And Lord, this was a title of honor used to respect and revere others, a way servants often greeted their master. It clarifies this baby was sent into the world as a ruler. I think the implication of this title in a culture where many declare, I am the captain of my own ship. I live the way I want to live. Of the three, this is the most challenging for us. It's easy to be excited about a type of set-apart superhero sent to rescue, but when that individual stakes claim on how we live, many turn away. The, the title indicates there are other lords that could be served. Some are people, like, like a supervisor that holds tremendous power, a, a political leader that's viewed as a type of messiah, or a special someone who captured our heart. That man, that woman, that son, or that daughter. Other lords can also be a thing. The, the thing in our lives that ultimately offers escape or identity or meaning or purpose. And so this baby will either be received as a righteous ruler or his reign will be rejected. In various ways, each of these titles, Savior, Messiah, and Lord, it clarifies the type of person the birth of this baby matters to. See, his birth does not matter to the prideful and proud, those who are self-sufficient and self-reliant, those who are autonomous and arrogant. The birth of this baby matters to those who need a Savior, those who need to be liberated, those enslaved to the things of this world who long to be set free. So that means that sin is not so much what keeps you from Christ. Self-righteousness is. C.S. Lewis articulates this point in his book, Mere Christianity. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Someone who is proud will not be able to hear and receive and worship and look up to this baby born in Bethlehem. So I want you to take a moment and consider where you're at this morning. 
apart from Christ? Do you identify as someone on the periphery? Someone in need of a Savior, a Messiah, and Lord? Or are you prideful and proud? You can make your own decisions. You are your own Lord. You may want to adopt Jesus as a friend who makes you feel good about who you want to be, but you don't need a Savior or a Lord. So consider how you relate to this baby born in Bethlehem. If you're longing for something different, if that's where you're at this morning, I'd love to meet with you. I'm sure somebody else in this room would as well. Now, in light of proclaiming such remarkable titles, we might anticipate this baby to have been born in some extravagant setting. But here's another aspect of the news proclaimed by the angel. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped, in, wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Notice how part of the proclamation of the birth of this baby is not all that special. His birth is a humble birth. He is not wrapped in a rich robe, but a low-cost cloth. He is not lying in some beautiful bassinet or some cushy crib. He's lying in a meager manger, which is a word for feeding trough. The setting of his birth is not grand or gaudy, it's meek and modest. If we were to catch a sniff of the odor in the room, it wouldn't smell clean like many delivery, delivery rooms today. It would stink of muck and manure. When Pastor Chris preached on Mary's song, one of his conclusions was, God brings salvation through the lowly to the lowly. Kyle repeated this last week as a, as a takeaway from Zechariah's song. With this proclamation of a humble birth, it seems God is repeating a point. Jesus is not only proclaiming peace for those on the periphery, he became one on the periphery. Those on the outside looking in, those who are ordinary, not extraordinary, God sees them. And he is entering into their world. They are no longer on the outside. Our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah. He is someone who identifies with them. So after the angel proclaims details of this baby born in Bethlehem, clarifying what makes him so remarkable, a multitude of angels suddenly appear and sing a short song. Why? Let's now explore the praise in verses 13 and 14. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. The, the sudden singing of a song helps us understand more of the magnitude of the news of this baby born in Bethlehem. I mean, think about some of the emotions and reactions associated with other messages communicating significant events. It's a boy. It's a girl. I now pronounce you husband and wife. Audience, I want to introduce you to the graduates of 2022. What follows is typically extravagant excitement and enthusiasm. When someone shares news about an event like a recent engagement, 
What's a typical response? That is so exciting. No. Oh, my goodness. Tell me all about it. I want to hear more. It's a spontaneous reaction filled with praise. There are shouts and screams filled with delight. What follows the angel proclaiming the identity of this baby born in Bethlehem is no different. The angels are excited and enthusiastic to the point that they cannot respond in mere words. They must respond with spontaneous song. So all of a sudden, a multitude of heavenly hosts appear with the angel, and they are filled with worship and awe and praise. The number of heavenly beings communicated here, it doesn't mean like a dozen or 50 or even 100. Host is a military term referring to an army, a great number, a number beyond what, what can be counted. And the language here is a multitude of hosts, meaning there was far more far more than what could be counted. As I prepared for this sermon, as some seek to capture the magnitude of these numbers, they speculate every angel found in the vast universe must have gathered to praise God during this monumental moment. It makes sense why that would be true. God being born a baby, coming to liberate and rescue people on the planet, is the most remarkable event in the history of creation. Luke tells us they sing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. So that means the fallout of this birth in Bethlehem is peace, not chaos or confusion. Now, it is not a general peace on earth. Some Christmas slogans and Christmas songs and Christmas collateral reduce the meaning of the season to peace on earth. That is not what the angels sing. They say peace on earth for people he favors. The Christmas slogans and Christmas songs and Christmas collateral tend to miss that part. So who are the people he favors? Scripture teaches this is the poor in spirit. The humble, sinners who turn to Christ in need of grace. The the people he favors are those who experience his grace and goodness. See, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, people experienced barriers and hostility and division in their relationship with God. Adam and Eve were barred from entering the Garden of Eden. When Israelites worshipped at the temple, nearly all could not access the Holy of Holies, the innermost point where God's presence dwelled. The high priest that could enter the Holy of Holies only did it once a year after a lengthy ceremonial cleansing process. People who were not of the Jewish faith, they could only access the outer parts of the temple. Because of sin and the effects of sin, People lived on the periphery, experiencing barriers in their relationship with God. Now, I've described how the news of this birth was a bombshell. As it relates to the barriers between God and man, the birth of this baby is the bomb that brought those barriers down. Where people experienced hostility in their relationship with God, this baby brings healing and wholeness. Where people experienced division in the way they relate to neighbors and their family and friends, this baby 
builds, rebuilds, and repairs what has been broken. The birth of this baby proclaims and produced peace for people on earth. Now, when I began this sermon, I talked about moments that I am confronted with how broken the world is. We look at the people of God and we still see division. We experience hostility in our homes to to the point that it feels sometimes like God is raining sadness and sorrow down on us. As we reflect on the first coming of this baby, we know that God enters into our suffering. Our suffering matters. And as we look forward to this baby's second coming, we know that our pain and our petty divisions, they will not last forever. When he returns, there will be no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more tears, and we will dwell with him. Listen to Revelation 21, 3 and 4. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. I don't know how many of you have seen the footage this week from the funeral of the fallen police officer Richard Houston. He, he was working down in Texas, died at the age of 46 after being shot, responding to a disturbance at a shopping center. And his 18-year-old daughter, Shelby, spoke at his funeral. Shelby is a professing Christian And with her voice barely holding together, through tears, offered this. When I heard the news that he, and she was referring to the shooter, when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that somewhere down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him. Simply to tell him about Jesus. Can you hear, Shelby? Confronted with a severe season of suffering, she's singing with the angels. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. In a world at war with God, a world that is fractured and falling, in a world that can be chaotic and confusing, making many respond with scolds and screams and shouts. She is a picture of what it means to experience quiet and calm. The peace of Christ making her heart sing. Receiving this peace, it does not dismiss or deny sorrowing and sadness. But it does mean something greater than the circumstances of this world rules our hearts and our lives. Comprehending the magnitude of the news of this baby born in Bethlehem 
It made the angels sing. The reality, this birth proclaims peace to people living on the periphery, made them burst into a ballad. What about you? As you consider the coming of Christ and look forward to his return, does it make your heart happy? Not just warm or sentimental or genuinely jolly. Is your heart filled with joy? Christian, we have a song to sing. Let's sing it. Our shouts and screams of delight tell a story. Our singing says the birth of this baby born in Bethlehem, it matters to us more than anything else in the world. The news of the birth of this baby born in Bethlehem is remarkable. It proclaims peace to people on the periphery. His birth has ramifications for people across the planet and ramifications for people throughout time. God sees people on the outside. He has not abandoned them. God sees people who desire a savior, who need to be rescued. God sees people who long to be liberated and set free from the power of sin and death. God's purposes and plans for redemption are being fulfilled. And the people who trust in him experience peace on earth and peace for eternity. Let's rest in that peace this Advent season, and let's sing, for he makes our hearts happy. But first, let's take a moment to pray this morning.